Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas de Caballeros. Welcome back to another edition of Leading Radio. I'm your host, Dave Duenas, with my co-host, Emil Carr. What's going on, brother? Not bad. I'm uh, visiting my mom. I'm actually at her house, so I'm right on. taking the show on the road this week. There you go. But uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk boxing after this weekend. You know, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, first off, big shout out to one of our listeners, Louie, who's the manager for the Heritage Fort. Gave me this hat. Okay, so if you ever need some body work and you're here in the Valley in Modesto, California, go down and see Louie over there, excuse me, off of Banks uh, at Heritage Fort. God damn, dude, drinking coffee is just giving me uh, the burps here, man, mm-hmm. so I apologize. Uh, go out and see Louie over there. Um, yeah, I mean, we got a lot of stuff here on Leaving the Ring to discuss. It was a big weekend for us. Uh, what's up, Kenny? <laughs> oh, man. Kenny's alive. Kenny's back. Kenny's back. That's great. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, man. Well, first off, let me ask you, how was your Halloween, bro? Did you go out trick-or-treating? Did you stay back? Did, what, what, what was the big plan that you did on Halloween uh, night? I was essentially at home just watching boxing, so it was a great Halloween for me. Afternoon right. started off with the card in England, and the night took me into the two-card Saturday night. The Inouye card and the Tank Davis Santa Cruz card, and I had a great time watching all three main event fights. Yeah, I didn't get to watch the like immediately with the uh, Morgia fight. You know, actually, no, I take that back. I did, I did, but then I was like coming in and out. I was doing a bunch of stuff because um, I try to make it home early, and then um, some of the fights were really boring, so I kind of lost interest. So, it, but I, I, like I said, I was doing running errands that I had to get done in the house because. I knew that all Saturday I was going to be busy, stuck on the couch. I mean, if you have me as a Facebook friend, whatever, you're going to – I wrote on the post that I was like, um, you know, I'm not going to be giving out any treats, not because of COVID, COVID-19, but because my ass was going to be glued to the couch all day from 11 a.m. All, all, the, all the way up. And that's pretty much what I end up doing on Saturday, but hey, let's get down to the Friday card on the zone between Jaime Morgia versus Johnson. Obviously, it was a very competitive fight, uh, Amilcar. I don't know about you, but I thought that Johnson was doing a phenomenal job, um, was very aggressive, was coming forward, throwing a lot of shots, and he was really making Jaime uh, kind of fight for his for his stance in that in in, in in the rounds, like really making him work for whatever he was throwing. The uppercut looked good. Him and uh, Eric Morales said they've been working on that, and it was it was evident because he was landing it. Um, but overall, I mean, he got the stoppage because of the cut. It was a really nasty cut in the bottom lip. Um, it was kind of weird that Sergio Moro said that was the worst cut he's ever seen in boxing. I was kind of thrown back about that comment. I don't know about you, because I was like, that was the worst cut? What happened when the mouthpiece was coming through the bottom lip of uh, Diego Corrales or something, you know? Yeah, I was just thinking about that one as well. Yeah, or like... I mean, it, uh, was, it, wasn't, even the wor- it wasn't even the worst mouth cut, cut, let alone facial cut. You know, yeah. and, I, and I get it that they want to protect the fighters, but that should be on first minds of the ref and the, and the doctors and everything. But, I mean, there was no mention because 
If, you know, if this was on HBO, Larry Merchant would have been asking, is it falling? Is the blood uh, uh, causing him not to breathe? Is he swallowing too much blood? Um, and I don't remember hearing any of that from the doctors, you know, asking Johnson any of those questions. Um, it was a nasty cut. It was down from the bottom of the lip all the way up across and stuff. So, I mean, is it a stoppage that I think it was too soon? No, I think they did the right thing. Uh, but it only leaves me wondering about Jaime Morgia. Where does he go from here now? I mean, it, does he really look like a major threat at 160? I don't really think he does uh, look like a major threat at 160. You said it yourself, Toriano Johnson, who's a guy in his late 30s, I believe. He's a kind of a gatekeeper at mm -hmm. best at this point in his career. He's like a career journeyman uh, that's had a, a couple good a fights with, with some champions, but he's never really gone to the championship or elite level. And Jaime Munguia, to me, did not do that well against him. Um, I understand he's moving up from 154 to 160, but he's not at all near the top of the 160-pound division. So mm. based on that, right. I, I can't really consider Munguia... Definitely not a top five. I don't know if he's even top 10, top 10 middleweight right now. I think with the name alone, because it is a recognizable name, they're obviously going to put him up pretty high up in the rankings. But I don't know about you. Um, I don't see him being very competitive with Charlo, uh, Canelo, even Gennady Golovkin at his age at this moment, or even Dermanchenko. Uh, you know, I think those guys are a bit too much and too elite and too experienced. I wouldn't have a problem if Johnson and his team were asking for a rematch because it was such a competitive fight, you know? I mean, yeah, Jaime Morgia started kind of taking over in those late rounds, but it still left me wondering what would have happened if the cut didn't happen. Yeah. You know, you, you start to answer those questions as well. My, my guess is that the aging fighter would have kind of been broken down a bit as the fight progressed. Right. I mean, his body pretty much gave in with the cuts, so to speak. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, he was getting buzzed. I mean, he was yeah. getting buzzed, but he was fighting back, and I thought it was very valiant of him. It showed that he was still very much in that fight. He didn't argue about the stoppage, um, not that I saw, you know, um, when I was paying attention. You know, but but I, I go back again. I was like, you know what? I think it's, I think you could sell a rematch. Because the rematch was so, I mean, the first match was very competitive. I mean, it wasn't like we had some dull moments between the two, starting from the first round all the way on to the stoppage. There was a lot of action. And there's one thing that you could never argue or debate about, Jaime Morgia, is that when he shows up, when he comes to fight, he really does come to fight. Yeah, he does. He does come to fight. He's definitely a action fighter, a pressure fighter. Personally... I think his best chance at a championship at 160 is against Gennady Golovkin. And I think it's it's a worthwhile fight for him to make because they're both tied to the zone. Right. And they've got that history when Golovkin was looking for an opponent and it ended up being Ma, Ma, um shoot, I was just at Martyroshin, sorry. Right. Um which I also thought was a one-sided obviously mismatch, but at the time, we were hearing things like he's not ready, he's too young, he doesn't have the experience. Well, if you're ever going to catch Golovkin on an off day or kind of push him over that hill, 
towards retirement. I think now is the time to do it. Right. COVID-19 um, has kept him out of uh, out of the ring, uh, waiting for Canelo to make a decision of whether or not he wants the rubber match. And uh, and then obviously uh, Dermanchenko put miles on him, you know, that he already had, that he didn't even need uh, by almost, you know, almost getting a knockdown. Uh, if it wasn't for the ref that st- stepped in between the two when they fought, you know, it is a good it is a good match for Jaime Morgia. Um, if not good match in terms of being competitive, because I still think Kennedy Golovkin may be a bit too strong with all the things we just named right now on the list of saying why it'd be great for Jaime to go after him right now. But I, I, I would still say go for it because of the money. The money is obviously there. Um, I think you would get a lot of Mexican-Americans and, and Mexican fans out to go see both of these guys if the gates are open uh, for an audience, which we did see happen on Saturday night between Gervonta Davis and Santa Cruz. Now, we'll get into that a little bit, but just going back with Jaime Morgia, if no Gennady Golovkin, again, I'm not opposed to seeing him go back in the ring again uh, in 2021 against a Johnson, a healthy Johnson. Hopefully that heals up and doesn't prevent him from uh, coming back in early 2021. Because like I said, I thought he did a great job. I thought it was very competitive. It wasn't a one-sided beatdown, which we've seen Jaime get away with by fighting smaller guys. He wasn't a real fight there. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I thought I watched him really uh, uh, give Jaime Morgia everything he could handle at 160. Yeah, uh, Hogan would be a good fight, uh, kind of a grudge match fight, given right. especially what happened in in their first fight. Uh, G Funky, Orale David, and Amilcar. Uh, thank you for coming on online. Same thing Kenny with Ron, says, B, uh, PM, PMC. Yeah, thanks for coming through. I'm going to read Kenny's comment here in the chat. He said, they are talking about him not having his man strength yet. I think his skills are developing, and he looked better as the rounds went. I agree with that. He started way too slow. He doesn't look like a threat. I, I think that's a very fair statement by Kenny. Right. Uh, you know, the the challenge, though, I see with Mungia is that he could kind of lose against any of these top five uh, middleweights. So if he is going to take on a middleweight, I would just go straight for a champion. Better to lose to a champion than to, to a contender. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true, man. Um Again, we started the show a little early. I apologize because uh, oh, I got off early. You know, I actually uh, had a half a day, um, took the weekend off. You believe that, Emil Carr? I actually took the whole weekend off. I, I didn't want to do wow. shit, you know. And then uh, today I was like, I'm going to go in for a few hours and then I'm going to come out. Then I'm going to work on the show and then uh, chop it up with with uh, with uh, Emil Carr and, and Brian Fogg and D Style and just kind of, uh, you know, reevaluate what happened this Saturday. So. Let's move on from there. Let's let's move over to Usyk, okay? Who uh, uh, yeah, Alexander Usyk, who had his fight with Derek Chisor. Um Usyk has been he's been like the second coming, dude, for the heavyweight division. You know, I mean, everybody's been labeling this guy as the greatest heavyweight. Uh, you know, anticipated by a lot of his fans. Obviously, made an impact in the cruiserweight division. You can't take that away. But let me ask you: Were you guys impressed by Usyk's performance against Chisora? I was actually impressed. Uh, Chisora went in there with a game plan. Um, the judges' scorecards are one seventeen, one eleven, one fifteen, one thirteen, one fifteen, one thirteen. I think all of those are pretty fair cards. I didn't score the fight, but I had 
I, you know, I, I thought Chizora, uh, sorry, I thought Usyk won. Chizora's plan, I think, going in was to be as big as he could, right? To try to, you know, outmuscle him because he wasn't going to lose when he wasn't going to win a boxing match against Usyk. They kept mentioning his conditioning and how great it was. I actually didn't think his body looked very good at all. I thought he looked pretty overweight. And well, I was actually surprised that he fought as hard as he did for 12 rounds. He did take off a couple rounds, but he did go the full 12 and really push the action. But, I mean, his best punch was literally a jab where he'd kind of go from the orthodox position. He'd kind of do a, a, a left um, inside pivot with his left foot and then kind of throw a right jab. Hmm. He, he caught Usyk with that a, a few times. but Yeah, he did. You know, he, yeah. he led with that punch, and it did surprise Usyk for a minute that he had to readjust himself and reposition himself so he wouldn't get caught. You know, uh, you know the thing with Usyk is that he is a slow starter, you know, and uh, but like you just mentioned, the game plan that that, that Shizora came out with was, was a good one. You know, um, my question like yours and a lot of other folks that were uh, watching it live and on social media was, can, can Derek Shizora keep this pace up? And for a minute, out of three to four rounds, I was like, oh, my God. I think he conditioned himself enough to keep this going. But I think, he, like you said, he was depending on size. And he thought that size was going to do a lot to Usyk. But but did Usyk look uncomfortable at any time in this fight, in any of those rounds? I thought he did. I really did. I thought there was some concern there uh, because it didn't look like his feet were under him. And, again, we questioned uh, with this pandemic, who did it affect the most? I think that night, Saturday, uh, you know, when they faced each other, I thought that it did f affect Usyk a little bit more because it took him a little longer to get those legs underneath them and start moving and pivoting like you were just mentioning right now. But I certainly thought that after the fourth round, I thought Usyk really picked it up and started yeah. really, really just kind of uh, uh, being able to have a flow, that flow that he normally has, and he was able to start boxing around Cesaro and making Cesaro miss, miss a lot of big shots, which really kind of gassed him out in those late rounds. Yeah, I agree. And even in the later rounds, there are plenty of times when he was actually walking down Derek Chisora. Um, He did hit Derek Chisora flush a couple times. I don't think he ever really had him hurt, but between his conditioning, getting caught by clean punches, he did go into retreat mode uh, late, later in the fight for, for, for stretches. I was impressed by uh, Usyk. I don't really see him knocking out, you know, Fury or Wilder? Well, that's my um, next question. You know, yeah. do, do you see him being as is he ready for the top three guys, which would be Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, or Tyson Fury? I think that he sizes up well with Wilder and has the defensive skills to not get caught by Wilder's right hand. So for Wilder, I think he he can legitimately beat Wilder. I'm not saying he will or if they'll even fight, but I think He's got a really solid shot against Wilder. AJ, I see being able to use his his size and his added weight uh, better and more effectively than Chisora did. I think he'd, you know, walk him down with a jab, lean on him when he has to. I don't really see him trying to infight too much because that's not AJ's game. Um, but I could see Usyk outboxing uh Sorry, um, Anthony Joshua. I just see it more as a 50-50 fight. Fury, I do not see as a 50-50 fight at all. I think Fury is too big. 
He can box orthodox. He can box southpaw. His punch variety is solid. And that is a very difficult task for a guy moving up from cruiserweight to to take on a, a guy that big. A guy who's not uh, Valua, who David Hay moved up and, and fought successfully. We're talking about, honestly, one of the best boxers in in the sport, um, skills-wise. And he happens to be 6'9", 270. Well, I mean, look, I think that I think I'm with you about Tyson Fury. I think Tyson Fury with anybody on, you know, the condition and the right framed, right mind Tyson Fury um, gets. I think he beats everybody. You know, uh, Deontay Wilder, I think the right hand that what Shazor was able to show and Shazor doesn't throw it down the pipe the way uh, Deontay Wilder does. I, I think that. I would have to still favor Wilder against Usyk just because of the size and because I think that Wilder's just that much quicker than than Shizora. Shizora tried to manhandle, uh, you know, Usyk, in my opinion, with that body weight. I don't see Wilder doing that because he's not that massive of a guy. He's a tall guy, but he's, you know, he's got like that. He's like a heavyweight Tommy Hearns. Tall, thin, lean, but he's got that punching power. And if Usyk starts off slow against Wilder, Wilder has that punch to just turn it around and end that night. You know, uh, Anthony Joshua to me is a toss-up. Just because the fact that mentally you could break down Anthony Joshua. And I think yes. Usyk can really fuck with his head by his boxing skills. I think Usyk with his angles and everything could really push AJ to that limit of trying to look for him and overcommit. Which he did with, uh, you know, Andy Ruiz. But, you know, uh, Rump PMC just put here, he asked uh, in the chat here, he said... Who do you think that Usyk should fight next as a at heavyweight? That's a good question, bro. Where does he go? I think from it's there? Anthony Joshua. I think it's Anthony Joshua. He's the mandatory for Joshua. Right. I see Joshua as his most likely win of of the of the two champions. And honestly, if you're Usyk and you look down the WBO rankings, yeah. I wouldn't want to fight Daniel Dubois. I wouldn't want to fight Joseph Parker. I no. wouldn't want to fight. Kubrat Pulev. I wouldn't want to fight Andy Ruiz or Junior Fa. By the way, I'm really looking forward to the Joseph Parker Junior Fa fight. Yes. Uh, that's a really good domestic fight in in New Zealand, and and Junior Fa looks like a really good good prospect. I mean, he's undefeated and he beat Joseph Parker in the amateurs. But I digress. I wouldn't want to fight any of those guys. I no. would just take on the champion because it's better to lose to the champion and get paid very well and and have the opportunity to fight for three title belts than obviously to take on another heavyweight that you might struggle with. Who wins the fight, I guess? As, um, what it is, what it is what? <laughs> uh, who wins the fight, I guess, with Usyk and Anthony Joshua? I mean, God, I would still have to see how Anthony Joshua looks in his upcoming fight. Uh, we obviously know what Usyk looks. Uh, I think Usyk does again. I mean... Look, you were impressed by him. I was semi-impressed by him because I still, I still haven't seen like a a, a, a definite that he could keep these bigger guys off of him. You know, uh, where he could stop. I mean, he did hit Suzora later on in those rounds in those late rounds, but I think it was it, it was really uh, due to because Suzora had some fatigue there. You know, but it wasn't really the punching power of Usyk that 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 buzzed Derek Suzora. So. I don't know, man. I, I'm still very intrigued and and interested in seeing 
what type of stamp Us is going to leave in that heavyweight division? Can he do what, what Holyfield did? Can he do what David Hay did? I don't know. You hear that, Dave? What is that? Is that the smallest I'm violin? Hearing, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing some kittens. It sounds like Anthony Joshua after the Klitschko, <laughs> look, after the Klitschko fight. <laughs> <laughs> because because uh, he went he went from a lion to a little kitty cat after that fight. I oh, he's he he's told he's totally changed. Has he though? I mean, he only did it with that uh, with Andy Ruiz. I mean, like I said, we haven't seen what he's going to do. Oh, next. I was I was not I was not very impressed with him against Carlos Takam either. Or against Joseph Parker. He didn't want to engage. He didn't want to get No, hit. he didn't. He didn't. But those are dumb, those are different punches than Usyk, though. See, that's what I'm saying. I don't know how big of a puncher Usyk still is. He buzzed Shizora. I, I like I said, I meant he buzzed him, but was it really Usyk's power that buzzed him, or was it Shizora's being being fatigued in those later rounds already? Yeah, I think it was a combination of both. I mean, it's never easy to take a clean shot by anyone who weighs over 200 pounds, let alone. When your your body is is kind of fatigued and you're running out of gas. Here, Kenny puts look what Kenny put. Dillian White Povetkin says, "You guys are crazy if you think that they should that he should fight AJ. It's too soon. I think AJ is, is easily beats Usyk. The size, the power, the reach difference is too much." What do you say about that? I don't know. I, I I mean, I think that it's not too soon. I think that that's what Usyk wants. That's what he's going to go for. You know? Yeah. I think the best fight for him though is is that fight personally. The, the I like out of the I, three out of those three Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, even you know, Parker, uh Ruiz, Anthony Joshua, I think you're right. Because there's so much questions going around on his head. And like I said, I think we're going to find out a little bit more in this next fight, and I think you're right. I think he's going to stay away, you know, uh, in, uh, 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 who he's fighting um, Pulov, right? Uh, AJ's fighting Pulov, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's fighting Pulov, and I think that he's not going to engage with Pulov. I think he's going to be, he's going to fight the smart way, which is, you know, use his height, use his length, use his jab, and try to keep Pulov off of him. So uh, if that's the case, then Usyk does have a chance, in my opinion, to beat uh, AJ because that's not you don't want to try to box him in the outside. You want to try to use that power and that strength that Kenny T just put right now in the comic box here. Um, but could Anthony Joshua do that? You know, does Anthony Joshua have any more confidence left in that chin? I thought Anthony Joshua's got a solid chin, but after in that rematch with Andy Ruiz, it was actually him questioning could he take the punch of, of Andy Ruiz? I agree. I think a good fight for Andy, Andy Ruiz is uh, Robert Hellenius. I don't know if you remember the last si time we saw him on, on PBC, but he got a good win. I don't understand personally how Charles Martin is ranked number two by the IBF. But um, Charles Martin's been actually, know. I think, honestly, I think Charles Martin has improved. He's looked a lot better with Manny Rubios. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with Usyk going after him. I just don't think that fight will happen. I think because he's mandated, he's the mandatory ch challenger to Anthony Joshua. I think it's smart for them, and I think that's the route that they're going to take, you know. Um, 
Run put out there in the chat. Does the, does that mean Usyk won't fight until 2021 or early 22? Fury and Josh are fighting in separate fights in December, and then they are trying to try to meet up for 2021. Well, you know what? If I'm Usyk, uh, that's probably what's going to happen. He probably will take step aside money because if he's guaranteed he to get the won't. winner, oh, he won't. Well, there you go. Now he's he said he said he won't. So. Usyk's either going to be fighting Joshua next year or he'll be fighting for the vacant title against the next ranked contender. And that's Daniel Dubois. Ooh, that's a tough one. That is a really, really, really tough one. All right, man, let's get back. Uh, let's. So anyways, on Saturday, which was started off at, at 11 a.m., we added his own. Usyk got the win over Cesaro. Uh, and then on ESPN Plus, uh, we had Inouye versus Maloney. Uh, I thought it was a very, I, I, you know what, Amilcar, I thought we got exactly what we ordered between those two. What'd you think? Yeah, we did. I, I thought we did too. I actually thought he dispatched Maloney a little bit, but let's be honest, for I'd say about at least the last three rounds, Maloney wasn't really legitimately trying to win. I felt more he was in survival mode, at least for rounds five, six, and the partial round seven. I I, I feel that if he engaged a little bit more with uh in a way and had kind of opened up that he would have got KO'd so that was a smart strategy on his part but you know I I, I spoke on Thursday's uh, round table and uh, you know with Joe Habib and the others uh specifically Joe Habib didn't think that in a way could box on the outside and that he'd get outboxed by Maloney but I told him to watch the Piona fight the kid can box on the outside and on the inside right you know and if he kind of is in attack mode. Sometimes he actually does use good footwork and headwork. He does a great job of cutting off the ring. And his body attack is as vicious as his head attack. Yeah. And he's got a great punch variety. Uh, I love his, obviously, his hook. I love his straight right. And I love his uppercuts. And, um, yeah, he did exactly what he needed to do on Saturday. I was, I was very happy with the result. You know, not everybody can do what Nonito Dernier did to him. You no. know, which was stand there, push him back, uh, land big shots, fight in between the punches, uh, which Maloney, like you said, he was kind of like filling out the speed of the monster, filling out the power, trying to see where the kinks at that he can execute. Um, and, and that's not to me, that's not what you want to do. You know, you want to have a solid, confident game plan going out there. Now, again, Maloney, though, to me, still was there. I mean, he was in the fight. Um, he was landing big shots, but he was taking some hellacious shots from anyway. You know, it was just a matter of time. I saw it coming. I was like, okay, he's hurting. I mean, he just, it wasn't like it all of a sudden it happened. You could slowly see Maloney just start getting broken down, and it was going to gradually, it was going to come, and it just showed up and bang, it was there. Uh, when he tried to get back up, he saw him blinking his eyes. When a man does that, you already pretty, pretty much know a milk car. It's kind of over. That means his vision oh, yeah. is blurry. Um, his mind's not there. So it was a really good stoppage, man. Now, where does uh, in a way go from here? Well, I think he either fights Casimero or takes on the winner of the Norbin Ubale uh, fight that's taking place against Nonito Donaire. Um, if, I don't if, necessarily I, know I if would we love need to a see second Donaire fight. Right. Yeah, I yeah. would love to see the winner of that fight. If Nonito can pull that off, if he's still got miles in those those jogging shoes, that's going to be, I think it's going to really lead into a really big fight for everybody, especially put it on ESPN because that fight was on the zone. 
you know, so it's a great story. And, you know, I was talking about Brian Fogg about this a little bit off a topic here, but let me just give you my little short rant and stuff. And I was saying that problem with boxing nowadays is that you got a lot of guys, you got a lot of networks trying to adopt writers to try to write a story for us when like HBO back in the days was very simple. There wasn't a there wasn't a, a lot of science in a pushing a fight because the main ingredient was actually making a good fight. A good fight already has a great story. So the winner between you know for any way to get with that between those two we just mentioned right now that's a great story. Um, I'd love to see him go in after with the Filipino fighter, the other Filipino uh, Casimir, but I don't think it's going to happen. I definitely don't see that happening. Do you not see that happening because Casemiro's tied to the PBC? I don't see it happening because I think they still, I think that they're, they have different routes of what, what I'm hearing. I'm hearing that they have different plans right now, that they're not immediately wanting to meet each other. I think what they want to do is have more of a buildup uh, between the two, even though I think right now is the perfect time, but... I think with any way, there's still there's fights out there. Uh, you know, even even right now, like uh, Rump just put up there. Uh, what about Regal? Where does Regal fit in at 118? What do you think? Well, Regal Regal's at 118 right now. Right. Uh, he moved so back he down. Fit? Where does he fit? Well, he has the WBA. He has a WBA regular title. Um. So he's like kind of under Inoue in the WBA rankings because Inoue is like the super champ. Um, and then obviously you've got Ubali as WBC champ. And then you have John Real Casimero as WBO. I hope it happens sooner than later because it was already supposed to happen in April, but right. was delayed due to COVID. And then I was already really excited for it back then. And I'm even more excited for it now after the way Casimero handled Duke Micah. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. You know, I, I mean, I, I think the 118 division is so stacked that no matter what you do, I mean, throw Rigo in there, Rigandau. I mean, I think he's still, um, I don't know if he's going to pose a major threat because he's not the same guy. But as we saw in his last fight, you know, uh, if he's forced to fight, he will fight. But if he, but he's still very intelligent to enough to go, I don't need to do this. I'm going to box and I'll make it a boring fight, which a lot of people don't like, but he's a sniper. And I've always said that he's very patient. You know, he does what, what is, what needs to be done in the ring to get the win. He's not necessarily there to please everybody, even though he was trying to, when he signed on with PBC, excuse me, with PBC. Yeah. So you really, know, um... really, really, really interesting uh, with all those guys. Um, all right, let's move on. To the uh, Showtime pay-per-view, Magaleno, oh my God, dude. I knew that Isaac Cruz was a tough customer, but I just did not see that coming. Did you? No, I did not. I did not see it coming. What, what were your thoughts of that day? Oh, man. I was I was like, okay, first off, I was like, okay, let me get my pitcher of beer because I, I bought these pitchers, these glass solid pitchers, froze them up, and poured my beer in there, so I didn't even pay attention. Then all of a sudden, I, I hear... You know, the crowd go kind of crazy because they had a live audience there. So I turn up, I look up, and I see that uh, Diego Magaleno's down. And I'm like, wait yeah. a minute, what, what, what happened? Did he trip? Did, did you know, did he cross feet? What, 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 what's going on? Then all of a sudden, man, uh, Isaac went out there possessed and just took him out. What a nice uppercut. 
uh, Magaleno's eyes rolled back when the when the shot connected. His eyes rolled back, which tells you right there there was no need for an eight count uh, because he's out. He was done and out, and he laid there for a moment. Good thing that he did get up and he recovered from it. He was doing fine. He was on his Instagram telling folks uh, that he is coming back. You know, uh, it's one of those things that happens in boxing. Um, but you know, he's going back to the drawing board. Uh, but Isaac uh, Cruz, if there was any way that we needed an introduction, if there's any way you needed to to walk through the door and make an impression, he did it. Yeah, Isaac Cruz was very impressive. I mean, Diego Mer Magdaleno does have knockout losses on his record, but I've never seen him knocked out like this. It was always like a technical knockout loss. Um Kind of, except for the Teofimo, uh, the Teofimo, the yep. Teofimo yep. ones. So maybe he's, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's been changed by by that loss. But he's not the type of guy I would have thought of would have been dispatched of in fifty three seconds. And he's also it wasn't only speaks... the underdog for this fight. He was actually the favor. For yeah, the I thought actually, I thought he was going to be very competitive here. So um, welcome to the world of knockout punches. Um, Isaac Cruz. It was uh, definitely, it was it was something else, man. But um, let me put up here. Let me ask you this, uh, going away from that. All right. So do you obviously have the top lightweights out there? Where mm -hmm. does, where does, where does, uh, 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 actually, let me stop here. Before I even go in there, let's, we might as well just move into uh, uh, to Davis. Let's go on to Jonathan right. Davis, and then we'll talk about the lightweights here because obviously Davis had a KO, uh, you know, potential KO of the year. It's very argumentable uh, because some folks are going to dive into the fact that Santa Cruz was a smaller guy moving up, but I still think it's a it's a huge candidate of KO of the year. It was a beautiful uppercut. Leo Santa Cruz came out, dude. I I got to give Leo all the props in the world because he made it a fight. I was it the smart fight that he came out to do. It wasn't. It wasn't something that I was expecting. I thought he was going to box. I thought he was going to try to tire out Javante Davis and then overwhelm him with his, uh, uh, you know, um, his output of punches. But he didn't do any of that. What did he do, Milkar? He, he went. He went right into the lion's den and decided to go. The cub decided to go against the lion. And that's what we end up having on the sixth round was that the, the guy with the bigger paws swiped and took out the cub. There's no, there's no other way of saying it, but you got to admit, Leo went out there, put his heart on display, boxed his ass off, but that's it. What else are we going to do? Yeah, I thought it was a very, you know, who am I to say? I mean, this is a guy who's obviously a multiple-time world champion, but it just doesn't make sense to me that he'd go on the ropes and then trade on the ropes. Um. Like he was kind of throwing heavy right hands and they were and exposing landing. himself, and yeah. they were landing, which I guess gave him gave him the kind of feeling of security. But that's it. That's, I mean, that's, the, that's what that's is, what got him caught up. That's what got him caught up because when he was landing those rights, I was like, oh, oh, like oh shit, he found something. But so yeah, did and then but so did Davis. And also, also, I mean. It's difficult for me to say this, obviously. I mean, I wasn't there, but I mean, he Davis really loaded up for that uppercut. And I would have expected someone of, of 
Santa Cruz's kind of ability to kind of almost read that what he was going to be trying to do, you know, come right. under the right hand like that. And just the way he just loaded up, uh, you know, I, I felt that it, it was a punch that could have been telegraphed somewhat, at least, at least partially block it or slight. The thing is, he kind of the problem was he was against the ropes. I mean, plain and simple. Um, I think it might have been different if they were in the middle of the ring, but he was he was against the ropes, and he didn't really have anywhere to go. Much the way uh, White got knocked out by Povetkin. He was also against the ropes without anywhere to go. And he was also doing very well. <laughs> yeah, and he was you also know, doing very well. Yeah. yeah, because I thought Leo was up on the cards. I don't know what you, you know, everybody else, how they were scoring it. Uh, but I definitely thought that that Leo was up on that scorecard. Yeah, yeah. Well, John, I mean, I, I I wasn't scoring it myself. Neither was uh, I. It was but, quite. It was. I'll tell you why I wasn't scoring it because I was watching two fights at the same time. So, yeah, well, I, I wouldn't have been able to score two fights at the same card. I yeah, wish right. ESPN. I wish ESPN and uh, Showtime pay per view hadn't. You know, counter counter programmed each other like that. I don't think it was in anyone's ben- to anyone's benefit to run main events at the exact same time. First of all, I also don't understand why the Inouye fight was not on regular ESPN and why they put it on ESPN Plus. If you I want his either. US de- you want his is ESPN debut to be big, it should have been on ESPN, and it shouldn't have been counter programmed with the Santa Cruz Davis fight. No, no, it shouldn't have. Definitely, it shouldn't have. Um, you know, really quick, let me read some of these comments here that everybody's joining us in. Uh, John from Midnight Boxing. What's up, brother? How you doing? Thanks for joining us. He said, Cruz was still legit. Good win by Davis. I'm not going to sit here and downplay Cruz like he is a bum when he is legit. Absolutely. Who'd want to downplay Santa Cruz? No, Who, not at you all. You know, a lot of guys, you know, here's the thing. A, a, a lot of, like, Teofimo Lopez, dare to be great. He got it. When when uh, 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 Mikey Garcia went after Errol Spence, you got to give him credit. He went after the Godzilla of the welterweight division. Santa Cruz did the same thing. He went after Davis. You know, Nando put, this is funny. Nando, you're right. Mayweather, the greatest matchmaker in boxing history for a reason. You know what? Yeah. You can't knock that because Floyd, no, on his, in his second half of his career, Man, he understood the game of boxing. He understood the matchmaking like Freddie Roach did with Manny Pacquiao. You know, when Manny made that jump to welterweight and faced Oscar De La Hoya, that was the plan. Then went to Miguel Cotto. That was the plan. They, everything was, you know, they, everything was written down. They, they statistically knew what they were going to do next, you know. Uh, let's see what Run. Run goes, I think Leo was tiring too from the body shots. So he started taking more risks. Plus, he was having success. Yeah, I had it four to one, maybe three to two at the time of the stoppage. Again, I gotta agree with that there, run. You know, um the bigger guy was landing shots and kudos too. Even though we're giving a lot of props to Leo, kudos to Tank because a lot of us didn't think he was gonna make the 130 limit. He did it, he came out there, his body looked chisel, he looked ready to go, and he showed up. That told me that Davis did. took this fight serious. That he saw what we all saw too, that Leo was a threat coming up. Yeah, and he was very kind of quick and explosive and was throwing quick, hard, explosive shots. I That wasn't the kind of effort of someone who had really, really been struggling to 
to make weight. Like, he didn't look depleted. He looked super strong. In fact, it's the best tank Davis I've seen in a really, really long time, especially considering the level of opponent. This wasn't a past his prime uh, Gamboa fighting on a hobbled one leg. You know, it, it was uh, Leo Santa Cruz that really, really was motivated for this fight and showed up ready to fight. Let's see here, really quick. Uh, so Boxing Podcast, what's up, brother? I follow him on uh, uh, Instagram and on Twitter, guys, if you haven't. And check out his uh, his uh, podcast. He does uh, put it up on, on Instagram. Really good show. He's got some good guests all the time, man. Um, he had a 4-1 to Leo at stoppage, you know, for Leo before the stoppage. And uh, I can't argue with that. Because like I said, I thought Leo was very competitive. Uh, I saw uh, uh, G-Funk, uh, he did his post and even D-Style after that. Saying, like, look, don't downplay what Davis did, okay? He met the weight. He fought. The, he signed the contract. Leo came up, made it competitive, and Leo was winning, and then he catched him with a big uppercut. You got to give him props for Davis there. Now, though, let's go to the chart here, man. Let's move on here. Um, now you got, the, you got the lightweight division here. You got the yeah. whole top lightweights here. Where does where – does, where does, you know, Javante Davis go now. You know, I mean, look, Haney and Gamboa are going to be fighting uh, this month. And then Danny Garcia, I mean, not Dan, I mean, Ryan Garcia and, and Cowboy are going to be fighting. So those guys, too, are occupied. What does Davis do? Does he now start talking about maybe facing the king, Teofimo Lopez? Does, should he even go after that, Emilcar? Uh, I would go after it if I was if I was him. Um, I don't know what Floyd will think of that matchup. I think that a Devin Haney fight would be a really good fight, and they both kind of carry the, the second-tier titles, right? Because Devin Haney's the right. lightweight champ for the WBC, whereas uh, obviously Lopez is the emeritus, not the emeritus champ, sorry, the franchise champ. And then in the WBA... Here again, Lopez is the super champ and Davis is the regular champ. So it's kind of regular WBC versus regular WBA. And, you know, the winner of that could really make a case to take on Lopez. As things stand right, right. now, um, you know, you, Lopez isn't kind of in a position where he has to face either one of them. Um, I mean, he could if he wanted to, but... I think if, if those two fight each other, the winner of that fight really mm. makes a claim to take on Lopez. I think I'm with everybody, though, at the moment. Now, okay, we got the Leo Santa Cruz fight over with Javante Davis, but enough playing around. Let's see you get in there with one of these top guys, okay? David, Devin Haley, obviously, is fighting Gamboa, which a lot of us are not very intrigued about. I'm not too excited about it. Am I going to watch it? Of course I am. I'm a diehard zombie boxing fan, okay? But I, I think the only thing that makes me want to watch it a little bit is see how Devin does with Gamboa, since Gamboa was competitive with Gervonta uh, Davis. Now, was it uh, didn't make weight Gervonta Davis? Did it take you too serious, Gervonta Davis against Gamboa? I think so, you know. But I want to see how how De Devin Haney is going to take on Gamboa and how he looks. I expect. Well, I mean, we might as well talk about that because that fight's this uh, this coming up weekend, right? So let me ask yeah. you this, Amilcar. How do you see this fight? How do you see the outcome between Devin Haney and Yorkie's Gamboa? I think Gamboa's past his prime and is fighting well over the weight class he should be at, which is 126. He's a name. Uh, he's an Olympic gold medalist. 
he started out kind of like with a lot of hype, especially with HBO behind him. But he has not been the same since the Crawford fight. Hmm. And I've never felt that he was like a natural 135-pounder. He was always small. And his style is really to use kind of his athleticism and his power. It's just not working for him at 135 pounds no. against the championship-level opponents. That that was no. working at 126 to to a certain extent, but it has not been working at one at 135. So, I mean, he's been brought in to be a stepping stone and to be a good name on Haney's record, and that's right. about it. I I see I see Haney winning this fight Haney's possibly too, by knockout. Size is too much. Yeah. Power, speed. Uh, youth, youth. <laughs> everything is really on his on his side. Uh, so boxing uh, put out Tank's power is real. I don't remember seeing Leo hurt before. Tank straight to my number two lightweight. Really, I don't know if I put him on number two. I mean, don't forget uh, Lomachenko still out there. You know, um, number one definitely is going to have to be Teofimo Lopez. But I don't know if I put what Tank Davis did to Leo Santa Cruz as a number two spot as the best lightweight out there. Um, uh, I, I still, I, I mean, I still think that Lomachenko has a strong possibility of beating Ryan Garcia, uh, maybe Campbell again, uh, and, and Tank Davis and stuff, you know. I don't know. It's really interesting. I, the whole mix-up of guys that are in the lightweight division, to me, it's a ring robin. You could throw all these guys in the mix and stuff. Ryan Garcia facing Campbell, to me, is a phenomenal fight. It's a great fight because we're going to find out whether or not Ryan Garcia even belongs in the conversation of being the top five or six of the lightweight division, okay? Really big step up. I think it's a great move for him. It's by far a better move with him deciding to fight an Olympian like Campbell than it was for Gervonta Davis, uh, uh, you know, taking the challenge of a smaller guy moving up, you know, but... I wouldn't argue if you if if saying Gervonta does he belong in the top five? No, I think he does. I think he definitely does. Yeah, for sure. I, right now, I think he's top three. You know, you got to put Teo at the top of the list, but you know, right. Haney, Garcia, and Tank Davis are all fighting for the you know the second spot. Yeah, the, but here's the thing: with go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the win, while while it was impressive, the win on Saturday, it, it it doesn't really move the needle that much of where Davis should be as a lightweight exactly. because the fight was not at lightweight and he wasn't well, fighting a lightweight. And it wasn't any so, of the top top five guys. That's why with Ryan Garcia, no. if with me, with Ryan Gar- if Ryan Garcia is able to take out Campbell, it puts him right up there. The, maybe number three spot, maybe number four spot. But you can argue that now he belongs. He belongs there, you know? Uh, and yeah. that's, I think that's the argument that you have to have with, with Tank Davis. You know, is his power real? I don't know yet because he hasn't fought. He didn't fight Hangley. He didn't fight Garcia. He didn't fight Campbell. He didn't fight Lomachenko. He didn't fight Tino Lopez. And this was not a lightweight fight. It was a fight at 130 pounds. So, right. if anything, if anything, it sent a message to Jojo Diaz, Miguel Burchell, Jamal Herring, Shakur Stevenson, and the other guys at 130. I, I don't see how you could use that as a message to send towards the champions at 135. Yeah, it sends a message I, to the 130 guys. I think I, the I 130 have, guys. Yeah, I think I have uh, Davis over all of those guys. I think he's the number one spot at 130. I don't think you Agreed. can argue that. You know, 
No, no, no. I, I agree with that. He's yeah. number one at one thirty. I think it's a stretch to put him at number one at one at number two at one thirty five. And I think it's like I said before. He's got to fight a Haney um, or someone else who's a top tier one hundred and thirty five pounder. Beating Gamboa and beating Santa Cruz at one thirty does not make you the number two lightweight in the world. No. No, but he def- definitely is exciting, Gervonta Davis. I think he is exciting. I think he's going to, I mean, I just want to see him fight the top guys in that. Now, Devin Haley, what he does to Gamboa, what message does he send out there to the rest of the lightweight if he blows out Gamboa pretty quick? He says, look, I'm the number two guy, and I'm the guy that Teofimo has to fight if he wants to continue to, to claim you know, the throne of the of the top 135-pounder. Yes, he beat Lomachenko, but, you know, someone said this a long time ago. I, I like to give credit when people quote or when people make uh, statements that I quote, but someone said that you're not really a champion until you defend your title successfully. Hmm. So let's, let's, see, let's see Teo defend his championship, and I'd like to see him defend it against Haney. You know, you know, you said something great. It, you know, when Javante Davis beating Leo Santa Cruz, it doesn't really move the needle. Well, Devin Haley, if he beats Yorkis Gamboa, for me, and I think a lot of boxing fans, it doesn't really move the needle either. No, nope. you know, no, it does not. It just kind of keeps because he's you a right featherweight. There. Exactly, he's a featherweight. Right. He, he's not. He's not a. He's not a lightweight. To right. move the needle, I need. I need to see you beat a lightweight, a guy that weighs one hundred and thirty-five pounds. Exactly. You know, and that's why, like, I, Ryan Garcia now taking on Campbell, that's something that will really move the needle. That move, that moves the fucking needle right there. Yep. That definitely moves the needle. And let's face it, Luke Campbell is a top-tier lightweight. His only losses were against champions. He was unlucky both times. They were both competitive fights. This is actually a true test. Absolutely. You don't At see... lightweight. And Lenars is still out, and you know he's he's MIA right now. But he's another lightweight that's in that division. You know that you'll have to look at is a major threat to any one of those guys. I mean, I still would love to see. I w- I mean, that was a fight that I was hoping was going to happen between Ryan Garcia and Lenars. But with Luke Campbell, I was like, okay, I'll take that one. That's a great fight I'll right there. I'll definitely take that. Yeah, yeah, you know, have your Fort- have your Fortunas hanging around as well. Yep, Javier Fortunas right Yvonne, in that list. Yep, you got Ivan. You got Ivan Mendy. You've got uh, Lee Selby. There's guys out there. Absolutely, to make big man. fights with. Who can? Ha- okay, here it goes. Here's a good question, really quick. Here, mm-hmm. uh, Nato asks, "Who can Haley get next?" Realistically. Realistically, realistically, well, he's gonna have to wait for Campbell and 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 Garcia, uh, but I don't, you know. Well, luckily for him, those fights are t- that fight's taking place on the zone, so at yep. least there's no network issue taking on the winner of that fight. I think the winner of that fight is is the easiest to make realistically. I I do. Um, you look at the other big names. Uh, you know what Teofimo's though. Uh, but you know yeah. what, though? I mean, look, I mean, I still think that Hanley can make any fight. It's really up to, like, it's up to the other guys that if they want to make that fight with the kid, you know? Because, I mean, think about this. Uh, Devin Hanley was was 
arguing with Bernard Hopkins. Remember that? That he wanted Ryan Garcia. And they told him, slow down, kid. It's your time's going to come. Your time's going to come. It's not like Haney hasn't been calling out, guys. It just hasn't happened for him. Why? Because his, his name's not marketed enough, you know? So I, I, I understand the move with Gamboa because, like you said, it's a recognizable name. How he handles Gamboa, it may kind of steamroll things because it may spike the interest of fans wanting to see Devin Haley with the other lightweights. But if I'm Devin Haley, and I and like I said, uh, Garcia, Campbell, uh, Teofilo Lopez, even Lomachenko, I would not focus on them. I would I would look for uh, like Lenaris and the other guys are in that division right now, you know, to start doing something with them. I would also start calling out Jeravante Davis. Say, hey, why not me and you? I mean, you know, Russell, you're going to have Russell come, you know, uh, you guys are possibly having Russell jump up to face you. No, you should be fighting me, right? Yeah, I think that's the best. Like I said, I think that's the best opponent for him because they both hold uh, – regular titles in the sanctioning body him the wbc and and javante the wba and the winner of that fight is taking on a top lightweight and will have a top lightweights uh loss on 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 their record as a win so you know it sends a statement to the division if they fight each other and it makes a serious claim at least for the public that like a fight with between the winner of that fight and Teo is something that needs to happen. Right now, no one is actually able to really make that claim. Like, I am the man to take on Teofimo Lopez. I think they need that fight to, to, to make that statement. I think so, too. You know, and uh, like I said, uh, Soapbox uh, had put up, boxing hasn't been this exciting in a long time. Uh, I completely, completely agree even though you're still going to get your regulars that say, like, boxing's dead or boxing. I'm like, man, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. What's going on out there? You know, there's a lot of fights out there that are worthwhile. You know, um, I do, I do, though, want to talk about uh, a Saturday. Well, on the on the undercard, uh, another yeah. fight that happened on the undercard of uh, the Showtime pay-per-view, you had Mario Barrios out there with the Cowboy, Carl Cowboy. What a fight, and what a good fight. And Regis Progress was on that undercard, and, I mean, uh, he lo- he looked sensational, but he didn't really have a guy that had a prayer out there. Mario Barrios out there though, with, with the Cowboy. Dude, Cowboy was out there. He's valiant. He put up his heart on, and, and you know, he held his heart there. Uh, but Mario Barrios just looked too strong, looked too good in front of his hometown crowd there. But let me ask you this. Why wasn't Mario Barrios and Regal's progress going at it? They should have fought each other that night, not the other way around with these other guys and stuff, you know. Um, where does Mario Barrios now stack up among the three top 140 division guys, which is going to have Josh Taylor, Jose Ramirez, and uh, Regal's progress? Is he, is he, does he make competitive fights with these guys in Milcar? What do you guys think? I think it will be competitive against Progre. I think the only reason I I think that they didn't fight each other was a there probably wasn't enough money, uh, so they needed that would that would be one. And B maybe they were using this as a showcase fight to kind of build towards a a fight between e- these two guys as a main event in its own right. Right. If if that happens, I think the winner of that fight. Uh, along with Jose Zepeda 
uh, or is the person or are the people to take on um, the winner of the Josh Taylor? Uh, Ooh, Jose I'd love Ramirez to see fight. Jose Cepeda versus Barrios. I think that's a great fight. That would be a great fight too. Yeah, that would be a great, great, great fight. You know, I mean, all across the board right now, the heavyweight division. You know, going to the welterweights, even the middleweights, to the to the to the 140 division, to the 35 130s. 126 to the 118s, and even where Chocolatito's at, those divisions are stacked. 115. Yeah, yep. they're all stacked. They're all freaking and, stacked. And the lower you go, the easier the fights seem to be made between the champions, which is always a good thing. Yeah. Yep. That's, uh, uh, you know, I definitely want to see Josh Taylor and Jose Ramirez go at it. I don't see that happening, though. Uh, you know, um, not anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, Why don't you see it happening? I think they're just going to wait. I think they're going to wait a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think that Jose Ramirez's team are, are working at it, but I think Josh Taylor and them are, are probably going to hold off just a short bit. Uh, you know, uh, Regis uh, Progress, uh, you still got Maurice Hooker out there. I, I don't know why that fight didn't happen. It needs to happen. Um, you, know, you got Jose Cepeda out there. Uh, you know, now you got Mario Barrios out there. I mean, these are a lot of fights out there, man, that, that should, that, like I said, ring Robin there. You know, um, whoever Jose Ramirez fights, it's going to be fun, you know, because he comes to fight, right? You know, he's there to fight. Even if, yeah. he, even, even, even honestly, uh, uh, Postal, Victor Postal is still a guy that's a gatekeeper for any of the other guys that like progress. Uh, you know, uh, Jose Cepeda, Mauro, Mauro Barrios, uh, all these guys there. Victor Postal can obviously be an upset to these kids if they're not well prepared. I mean, he obviously showed he could be very difficult to handle, which he did to Josh Taylor and what he did to Jose Ramirez, right? No, I agree 100%. And obviously, uh, you've got Lewis Ritson over there, too, who's obviously... Um, usually competitive i didn't agree with the decision against miguel vasquez in his last fight i thought that that was a robbery but um you know he's highly ranked as well and he's out there in the uk i i obviously the 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 130 division is is stacked the 135 division the 140 it's nothing but top level guys with the potential for really good fights yeah Absolutely, man. And um, you know what? I hope Jose Ramirez or even Josh Slayer don't move to welterweight to the welterweight division. I hope they stick around because there is definitely a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of work to speaking, still be made. Speaking of guys that shouldn't be in the welterweight division, what about Mikey Garcia? I mean, he's he's got to be in the conversation as, as at 140 now. I don't even know where Mikey's at, man. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he doesn't belong in the welterweight division. He belongs in the lightweight division of what we were talking about earlier. You know, I mean, yeah. you imagine if he was there. Uh, you know, Leo. It shouldn't have been Leo Santa Cruz fighting Javante Davis. It should have been Mikey Garcia fighting Javante Davis. Right? Well, you know what else? It also should have been him fighting Lomachenko because I right. thought years. I thought years ago that Mikey Garcia would beat Lomachenko. Yeah, you know, so I don't know where Mikey's at. And you know what? I'm at the point that I really don't care where Mikey's at. Um, Mikey may not be a real fighter until he's at the end of his career, like the way Nonito Dornito did. You know, Nonito Dornier. Remember, Nonito Dornier was this guy that was on the top of everybody's pound-for-pound list, okay? 
everybody was very high on this guy. I mean, he was like blasting everybody out. But it was really nobody that, you, I mean, it was guys that he was supposed to blast out. And then you saw him become like a celebrity boxer, right? You know, didn't take things serious. Gets in there finally with a guy that did take the science serious, Rigandau. And was yeah, I was at that fight, Radio yeah. City Music Hall. Yeah, and, and he, he got schooled. schooled. He got schooled. Yep. It was a wake-up call. Mikey Garcia, I thought that would have happened with Errol Spence, but it didn't. So I don't know where Mikey no. Garcia is at. Yeah, I don't know where he is either. I do hope he comes back because he's a solid fighter. <laughs> he did, Nato. Suleiman called Mikey fat to his face on the Chocolatito zone card. I mean, dude, he looked... I mean, yeah, man. He looked like he had too many uh, tortas and, and burritos. Wow. The, whole, the whole enchilada, man. He's been having way too much. The, tor- <laughs> the tortas will get you for sure. <laughs> That's for sure, dude. Um... Okay, I think it's time for us to now finally move on and talk about the really important stuff here, Milcar. I don't know if you know. All right. Yeah, we need to talk about the important stuff. And I know, you know, our listeners want us to talk about the really, really important stuff. The the TMZ, the TMZ portion of the show. The TMZ portion of the show. I thought this was very important. I thought this was brilliant. I thought this was the most genius idea that that, that Deontay Wilder did. Okay. Which was on a big fight weekend, he announces or releases this video. Yeah. Right? About the glove gate. He's on the wagon of the glove gate. Now, you're going to say I'm crazy because you're like, how is this a brilliant move? How is this a great. Because he was the most talked about thing Saturday, Sunday, and today. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was the most talked thing about, but he was outrageous in what he was saying. And I think the saddest thing about what he said was not even the way he accused Ricky Haddon of cheating. He accused, um, obviously, Tyson Fury of cheating. But he also accused Mark Breland of being disloyal and in, in another interview accusing him of spiking his drink. Yes. Yeah, he did. I mean, look, he he didn't like tiptoe into this he went all the way in he, nah, he, he plunged in. right in he, he, he dove right yep. into it oh we heard the splashes on saturday when he did this now hear, hear me out okay and this is what i mean that it was a genius move what he did okay was it distasteful yes it was but here's the thing the contract ended but bob aram did say in an interview, which I don't remember was on, okay, you would have you would have to find it yourself, okay? I didn't have time to pull it up. Um, he did say, listen, because of the pandemic, because of the pandemic, we could definitely push it into 2021, February, Deontay. So Deontay Wilder is basically what he's doing. He's calling them out on that. Like, hey, listen, you guys, I honored you guys by giving you the rematch after the draw which he felt won, but a lot of us, like myself, thought Tyson Fury won that fight. He's calling them out on that, saying, be be a man of your word, right? Let, give me this rubber match. Now, if you would have came out and said that, I would have been cool with that. I would have been like, "That's hey, man, uh, give the guy give the guy a match. But he knew that wouldn't be enough in Okar. He knew by saying, hey, I need the rubber match. I gave you the rematch. Honor your word. 
You win, Bob. Stay true to your word. He knew that that wasn't going to budge, you know, move the needle, needle like you had mentioned earlier about the other the other subject we were talking about. Okay, he had to do. He had to take on the Qon and the MAGA theories of boxing, and that's what he did. And he got everybody talking. That now, honestly, I see a lot of people on social media going. I want to see Deontay Wilder get his ass kicked because he threw his trainer under the bus now. I really want to see Tyson yep, Fury. Did. Yep, I, I've seen fans go, I want to see Tyson Fury shut this dude up permanently now because he's now off the ledge. He's off his meds here, okay? The only well, I, one. I thought it, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I saw him as kind of teetering on I wouldn't call it psychosis, but some kind of narcissistic, you know, sociopathic tendency. Late In late February, when he had that video, do you remember? And I'm going to quote from it here. I brought up the quotes ahead of the show. He said, hello, my people, my bomb squad army, my bomb squad nation. I am here. Your king is here, and we ain't going nowhere. Then later that. he says... I am a warrior. I am a king that would never give up. A king that would fight to the death. We will rise again. We will <laughs> regain the title. I will be back. I mean, I honestly think that, and I could be wrong, obviously, but I think that when he was hearing uh, Fury refer to himself as the Gypsy King, right. that he kind of decided to take on the persona of like a king of the African Americans. And in, in his world, he seems to be the king of the African-Americans. And, you know, he's... Hey, why not? He, he's, I mean, why, why can't he be the king of the African-Americans there, Milgar? What, what what's, what's wrong with well, that? Well, uh, I guess in terms of boxing, he is. Right. But, I mean, look, if, um, if, if, but, if Tyson Fury nominated himself the king of the gypsies, what's wrong with Wilder saying yeah, I'm the king of the African-Americans? The, 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 the point is that the gypsy king isn't embarrassing the gypsies right now. <laughs> I think I think Deontay Wilder's actions are just are just insane. I don't know. I mean, because... I've never I've never heard, I've never seen a guy David take a loss like this. Can you think of a guy that's taken a loss worse than this? Hmm. No, that has went into so far with the green with the conspiracy YouTubers of the world. And the Twitter, you, you uh, conspiracy guys? No, I haven't. You know, but but again, this is what I think. D did he really fall off the mark here, or is he jumping on something that he can market and make real, sell it to the public, sell it to the casual fans? Okay, Team Wilder might have been sitting in the room and goes, "Okay, look, their their stance." And a lot of people's stance is saying that it's not going to generate a lot of money because there's no interest of, of seeing you because of the, of the the fashion that the way you got beat, it's not going to strike a lot of interest. Okay. It was too convincing. It was too dominating. Tyson Fury's win was too, too dominating. And I think that they were like, we need to, you know, we need to come up with something. And they were like, whoa, well, shit. Have you been listening with the, these guys, these conspiracy guys have been jumping on saying that Tyson Fury cheated. I think that's what he went with. I, I think that's exactly what he went with. Yeah. Uh, you know, but he let some truth out in the video, believe it or not. You know, but when when uh, <laughs> Eddie when Eddie Hearn had, had gone out to all the social media and made statements about Wilder being offered a contract to face AJ in London. 
Right, and I saw that. You remember you remember that Wilder then said that the money wasn't real and that the offer was fake. Well, in this last video, he said to Fury that he gave up more money to fight AJ in order to take lesser money to fight, to fight him. Right. So clearly the the offer was a legit offer if he's referencing it now. Right. Clearly the, clearly the money was real because back then he was saying it wasn't. Right. He said that it wasn't. It wasn't even there. It was never put on the table. You know? Right. What's up, Hot Man? Thanks so, for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, hey, Hot Man. Let, let me let me let me put add this to this this whole thing here, okay? Because I was gonna bring yeah. up the whole the whole thing about his um the King speech that he did that you mentioned, and then um doing this new video uh with the piano setting in the background and and you know that was with too. <laughs> I gotta ask you this, dude. Who's writing this shit? Because they're pretty good. This is like game, game, uh, Game of Thrones type of stuff here. You know, I'm it's hearing. the it's the guy it's the guy that that ran the script when I was like a toddler, and you know, Macho Man Miss Elizabeth was getting like cheated on. Yeah, you know. I mean, if he's I, I coming think, oh, off the oh. top of his head with this, which I've seen him do that in interviews. I mean, he's yeah. been controversial. This is not something new. Like the Spike Water, you know, going into you know Tyson Fury, you know, uh, 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 cheated. I mean, dude, he was going into the racism with Radio Rahim. He said, "I want a body on my record. I want to put somebody in a body bag on my record." So this guy is not. It's like this is not. This Saturday was not something new in terms of conspiracy. But I got to say this: if his boxing career is over or it's still going on right now and if Sly, Sly Stallone if you're listening to Leaving the Ring and you happen to just come across Leaving the Ring if you're writing a Creed Part 3 can you guys please star Deontay Wilder as Mr. T's son to face Apollo Creed Jr. Oh, that would be, be that would, that be, would great. be fucking. I mean, uh, Deontay, yeah, uh, guys, that's a, that's genius. <laughs> Hear me out, Deontay Wilder is convincing as Mr. T's son. Yeah, he is. And I would, I didn't care for the Creed series. I really did it, or the last series of of Rocky. This one, I would be front in line to watch Deontay Wilder starring as Mr. T, as Little T. Yeah, Junior T. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Well, he does have a body on his record, David. It's his career because th- this was this was bad what he did. This was really bad. And, and the thing too is, if I'm Fury now, I, don't I wouldn't know if it's even that fight bad yet, though. We don't. I wouldn't fight. I, if I'm Fury, I wouldn't fight him. Why? Contracts expired. Money. Now you're calling me a cheater and all kinds of other things. Money, you dude. You say money. He's got more money in an AJ fight. What, he's got why more not? money in an AJ fight. You know what? I mean, listen, I, would, I wouldn't say Tyson Fury not fight Wilder immediately. What I would say about Tyson, what I would say for Tyson is to fight AJ, then fight Wilder after. Make him wait. I would say, I would say you know what? Why don't you fight, fight my guy who's also with Frank Warren over here? Why don't you fight uh, Daniel Dubois? And if you beat him, maybe I'll fight you. I'll just be throwing out names like that. Floyd used to do that. Other guys used to do that. Like, oh, you want to fight me? We'll fight this guy first. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. That would be brilliant, you know? I don't see why not. Make the guy suffer more than what he is right now. 
you know? Now, going back with the whole Glovegate thing, we've had Ernesto Gabion from Everlast, who's worked with Everlast for quite a lot, long time. I think two decades already. Uh, he came on, and he definitely broke it down. It's impossible. I mean, look, I mean, I can say, he didn't say it was impossible, but you have, you have uh, officials there. Uh, they get the glove, you know, advanced. They check the glove out. They're there. Want somebody from the team, the opposite team's there to oversee the fitting of the glove. They hand wrap, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it, it's, it's pretty difficult to get away Dave, yeah. I would say it's impossible, just like you said. Yeah, I mean, right? look, the egg weight. Before the, the, that's ridiculous. Look, the, before the fight, the camps have to bring gloves. The opposite camp inspects the gloves. The inspection inspects the gloves. Right. Then the commission, sorry. Then the commission takes the gloves, right, secures the gloves. Right. And the fighter doesn't see the glove again until he's getting his hands wrapped. Exactly. At which point... The commission and the opposing teams can get to oversee the entire hand wrapping and glove process. Yes. Now, if yes. you remember, if you remember, um, it was Nazim Hamed didn't like uh, not not Nazim Hamed. Sorry, Nazim Richardson didn't like the way Margarito's hands were getting wrapped. Right. Right. When when he was about to fight Mosley. Well, he didn't even like the way Trinidad's hands were wrapped. When he was going to exactly. fight Monica Hopkins, okay, exactly, and they kept they kept making making uh, statements and having the commission look at things. None of that happened with Wilder. No, uh, JD's JD's was there while 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 uh, the Gypsy King was getting his hands wrapped. He didn't say anything. Right. Just to answer Hamed's question really quick, are you guys taking calls? No, we're not. Not yet. Um, you know, just because uh, we I got to still get the internet redone out here. Uh, to where it could be a stronger internet. And then when that happens, then I did find an app that we're able to put up with YouTube for a live stream so people can call in. So this is the first time I'm hearing sirens in my like, neighborhood. It's sounded yeah. like my neighborhood right now. Exactly, bro. The Trump world shows 40% will believe anything. That's true, Nato. Believe it or not. That's why I'm saying Wilder went for it. And it was a genius move. It was a Saturday. He did a Floyd. He did a Floyd Mayweather move. Big fight night. A lot of eyes are going to be out there. Yeah. I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to throw it out there. In you fact, know? Mayweather did it to him. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. You know. <laughs> Oh, I go back again, though. You know what, though? We had an expert here on the ring to debunk the glove gate. You know, um, I just thought it was brilliant. Brilliant. And like I said, Sly Stallone, if you're going to make Creed 3, get Deontay Wilder as as Mr. T, which would be, uh, what was uh, what was his, uh, Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang Jr. Write him in the script. Perfect. He's what convincing. is your prediction for tonight's fight? Pain. Pain. <laughs> Absolute pain. Don't forget, Thursday, we got a roundtable that happens on D-Style channel. It's a Leaving the Ring roundtable. Uh, we bring a lot of podcasters, well-known podcasters and YouTubers uh, onto the show, and everybody gives their take, and uh, we pick on subjects that everybody are talking about or haven't talked about just yet, okay? Um I think we've pretty much covered everything here, man. 
Inbox. I think so, Dave. Yeah. I think so. We ran it pretty quick, uh, man. I've got to give a shout out really quick, though, to Showtime. You guys did a great job on the pay-per-view. It was fast. It was consistent. And you didn't interrupt it with that podcast bullshit. You kept Big it improvement. Big improvement. If we, if we criticize you, we also got to big you up when you yeah. do right. So big improvement, Showtime. Yeah, really. I mean, I enjoyed it. Um, um, I was actually even surprised. I was like, holy smokes. This was... Uh, this was pretty quick, you know. This is going pretty fast, all right. Um, a lot of folks were complaining about, the, you know, how much it was going to cost, blah blah blah. And I'm with it with you guys. I get it. I get it. But don't, don't, don't try to shame me for buying the damn thing, okay? <laughs> Just like you shamed me about dropping the zone, you know. The <laughs> zone deserved to be dropped at that point. This is a great. This would be a great move by by. Uh, Team uh, Fury, pick up uh, a Breland, put him on his side of the court, is what Nato says. Yeah, I thought that from the minute that he was thrown under the bus. Yeah, let me see. Hamed, uh, he put, while they're starting to sound crazy, Fury should fight uh, Joshua if he beats Polov. Yeah, I think that's the route that's going to happen, you know. Um, and you're right, Ahmed. He does sound crazy. He does. And I think that by him accepting that, it really... Uh, Definitely, definitely made the case for everybody to call him a little bit of wacky. But I got to say it again. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it added some juice to the story for a rubber match because it, it, it just, like I said, I go back again. HBO back in the day didn't need hype men. Didn't need writers or, or two commentators to sell us on a fight we we're already watching. The fight sold itself when you get when you put up a good product it sells itself it's gonna you know we're there anybody even the casual fans are there to watch a good fight that's all that needs to be made with tyson fury and deontay wilder a rubber match it needed a good story and it needed somebody to push it and wilder decided i'll be the guy to step out the door and do this mm. well we'll see what it lands them Absolutely. We'll see what it lands him. I, I I think AJ sh should be Fury's next opponent. Well, after this tune-up, whoever that's going to be in December, I think he should be targeting AJ. I think that's the biggest fight in boxing, obviously. And um, once a Gypsy King takes on AJ, if he wins that, then we can start talking about maybe uh, a fight with Wilder. Although I think Wilder needs to now kind of prove himself a little bit. Definitely. I mean, there's names out there he could pick. They don't have belts, but there's definitely names out there that he could still fight. You know, definitely guys out there that could still challenge him and, and, and keep him busy, keep him sharp. Because staying out of the game right now, it's not doing him any good. Anyway, guys, you have a great weekend. Uh, catch us on Thursday on D-Style's channel. Don't forget, uh, Hispanics Causing Panic is tomorrow live on D-Style's channel. Then it's up on the Leader Ring Podcast Network to all platforms. As always, don't drink and drive because you will spill your beer. Amilcar, I'll see you. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. Let's talk soon. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you, gentlemen. Thomas and Caballeros.